Hi, dear listener. Zach here. I'm proud of the work we did on Call of Discovery and Keyforge Public Radio, and last year I took my love of podcasts full-time with my company, Rooster High Productions. If you know someone with a business who wants to broadcast their expertise through podcasts and derived social media marketing, send them my way to Zach at RoosterHigh.com. Thank you so much. Welcome to Call of Discovery, a podcast where we invite you on the journey into the Crucible for a weekly or fortnightly celebration of all things Keyforge, its community, and the excitement of Discovery. I am one of your hosts, Zach Armstrong, and dear listener, I regret to inform you, uh, even after many dives into uh, many different wormholes, we still have not been able to uh, find Ed, uh, but we are on the trail. We've found a whole lot of wacky clues uh, and, uh, yes, well, the wild wormhole, they're going to get their due. They're going to get their due at some point. Uh, but we are joined once again by Tyler Parrott, card game designer at FFG, who's working on Keyforge, got his start on Keyforge with Keyforge Adventures. And we love to have our guests back to talk about a deck that's unique to them, a deck they've got a great experience with that has an interesting name. Just, uh, every, every deck is unique in Keyforge and, uh, some we have great experiences and great stories with. So that is, uh, what Tyler has brought today. Tyler, it's so good to have you back. Hello. Well, I'm very glad to be back. I love being on your podcast. So I figured I'd do it again. Oh, <laughs> oh that's, that's very generous of you. Uh, so Tyler, you brought, uh, a deck today and, uh, has anybody who may have read the, the title of the show, uh, has realized it's got a bit of a special name because, uh, often people will look for namesake decks, right? I had a, a dear listener, uh, Doug send me Armstrong Q Tevit pair the third that has my surname in it, which is just great. Aww. But, but, uh, your deck happens to have, uh, a bit more than just one of your names, uh, in the name, doesn't it? Yes. So my deck is Tyler Parrot of the burning wall. It's named after me. It was generated as a as a company gift, and they said we're gonna give everybody a random name or a random deck with their name in it. Um, and then I got it, and I opened it up, and I said, "Oh, this is sweet. I'm gonna play it with a bunch." And then I lost a lot, and it sucked. Oh no! <laughs> but then, eventually, I learned that it actually is great. But we'll get back. We'll get back to that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's fantastic. What? Uh, so you opened those up. You saw Tyler Parrot of the Burning Wall, which is just uh, absolutely fantastic. Of the Burning Wall is a great. Uh, it's burning because Brobnar. That's how you can tell. Oh yes, in yeah. Case it, so it's, in case it wasn't really obvious. <laughs> so it's it's got Brobnar, and what are the other two houses in there? Uh, it's it's so. This is a Logos deck that sometimes plays untamed cards and very rarely plays Brobnar cards. <laughs> oh, I I see. I see. So uh, what what makes it a Logos deck primarily with these uh, other two houses playing Sideshow? Uh, so uh, it's it's I'm exaggerating, but only a little bit. Um, sure. It's a Logos. It's a Logos house because it has double Edi and double Edi four by four and um, a bunch of random actions with Amber on them. 
Um, Tau Tau Vapors is also important, but there's only one, even though it feels like there's a lot. Mm. Uh, so there's actually only three cards in here that archive, um, but the archiving is important um, because your game plan is to not call House Brobnar until you can get a giant Brobnar turn. And mm. so while while oftentimes you're going to go uh, Edai Tau Tau uh, archive every red card in my hand, um, and you're just going to leave them there because you don't want to play your your you know your the flex <laughs> until you get your uh, and right because the flex does nothing a lot of the time or mm-hmm. you don't want to play your Igon the terrible for him to just immediately die right like right uh, and so um, on the one hand it can be played where your game plan is just to archive all the Brobnar cards you see and never pick them up and 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 try to turn it into a two house deck um, however. Uh, that would be disingenuous to the Brobnar in the deck, which if you have enough Brobnar cards to warrant playing them, they are good. Um, mm. uh, the Like, the fact that this deck has um, the Smith and stuff like Information Exchange and uh, Mab the Mad and Regrowth mm. and Flaxia, it has a it has a bunch of cards that can generate a bunch of amber quickly yeah. if you can time them right. Um, and so the key is using your logos, your honestly only three logos archive cards. I guess wormhole technician counts as an archive card, but mm-hmm. in my experience, wormhole technician doesn't get to live very long. So uh, yes. <laughs> um, you're using your archive cards basically to stow away all your Brobnar cards that you don't want to play until the turn that you suddenly really want to play Brobnar. Um, and the untamed is just to make sure that your amber generation is keeping up with your opponent. Um, uh, another angle on this is that, and this is, this was one of the sort of big revelatory moments for me is that this deck is a bit of a glass cannon. Um, it can't come back very effectively if it mm. falls behind on the race. Sure. And so you really do rely on, and this is why I call it, honestly, this is why I call it a logo stack first and foremost, is that Edai 4x4 is sort of the centerpiece of the deck. Like, making your opponent lose amber by increasing their keys, key costs is a way to keep slowing your opponent down. Cutthroat research and information exchange do slow your opponent down a little bit. Um, the... Uh, there is, you you can steal or slow down Amber with Berserker Slam or Igon or even Barn Raising, which is one of the weakest cards in the deck, in my opinion. Right? Sure. Um, but they're not, but they're all conditional. And so you can't guarantee ever that you're going to be able to prevent your opponent from forging keys or gaining Amber, mm. which means you just need to dial it up as fast as you can and say, we're going to use flat, like, Flex is Flex and Smith are actually important in this deck as yeah. Brobnar big amber swings. Um Flaxia and Mab and to some extent Regrowth uh also are good just of like yeah a regrowth can sometimes get you two amber. Um and uh Flaxia will hopefully always get you two amber right yes having having flaxia <laughs> and smith in the deck both do incentivize 
both do make uh, both of them make me care a lot about making sure I have more creatures than my opponent. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like I said, I can't effectively come back from behind, which means I need to start ahead and stay ahead. But the deck can do it if you know what you're doing. The biggest question mark in the deck is that it does have a Fangtooth Cavern. Yeah. Which, do you find yourself playing that? Well, that's the thing, is it is very situational, and you have to be very careful about when and how you do it, because if you look at the deck, like it's got Babbling Bibliophile, it's got uh, uh, Pose Pixies, it's got mm. uh, Mab, right, that I already mentioned, um, it's got Edai's and Wormhole Technicians. These are all small creatures that you don't want to be killing, but sometimes you still need to do it anyway because it is an efficient form of removal. And if if the answer is this will kill the threat that I need to get killed, and now I can't play my two one one power creatures anymore, maybe that's okay. Sure. Uh, but you need to know going at like so for a long time I was just like completely on the never play uh never play Fangtooth Cavern train because I was like, my, my one power creatures are so good. I don't want to be killing my own creatures once I, but, but then, you know, there were a couple games where I realized that like right now, my only path to victory is having Fangtooth Cavern on the board and it worked Uh, Mm. illustrated that like, okay, so maybe I don't, I can't be taking quite such a hard and fast rule here. The only hard (laughs) and fast rule I would say is that, if you when you're archiving cards, if you can archive Brobnar, you want to archive Brobnar. But uh otherwise there aren't hard and fast rules with this deck, which is something that I like about it because it makes it fun to replay. Um, yeah. And that's a and that's a very Keyforge thing, right? To have the card that you maybe say, Oh, I never play this, and then you go, Well, actually, here's an edge case I found that yeah, actually makes this it, card really important. And like if I could take Fangtooth Cavern out of the deck, I would. Don't sure. get me wrong, but I can't. <laughs> so I'm going to learn to, you know, play it well. Um, yeah, it's also very Keyforge. <laughs> yeah, also very Keyforge. Um, one of the, so so I, I mentioned at the onset that like the deck was bad and I felt bad about the fact that the deck with my name on it was bad only to figure out that it wasn't. I was curious about the SAS ratings of all the decks in my collection at the time. Sure. Uh, shortly after getting it. And I was very surprised to discover that this has the best had, I assume maybe SAS has changed by now, but it had the best SAS rating of all of my decks. And so I was like, there has to be something here. Um, and and that did, in some respects, prompt me to relook at the deck of like, okay, but can I play it better? Is the deck better than, than I think it is because I'm only so-so as a player? Because I had other decks, like I have other Coda decks that are, definitely weaker or they they have a a, a lower sass rating and sure but i but they're more obvious why they're good you know big martian stuff mostly uh yeah but um and so it was interesting to me that here's this deck that i think is bad but the community thinks is good am i missing something um and the answer was yeah which sort of reinforces my idea of like if you look deep enough most decks are just good or can be good. Um, obviously, some sure. decks will have a higher ceiling and a higher floor than others. Um, but this was one that had a much higher ceiling than I initially perceived it to have. I just didn't realize that, A, 
you need to deprioritize Brobnar uh, until you do the one big Brobnar turn or the the couple big Brobnar or, unless you're doing a big Brobnar turn, I guess. Who knows how yeah. many I'll have. But uh and that you need to assume that if I fall behind I'm gonna lose. And so just always always be searching for that extra edge case of amber of like mm-hmm. it, it is usually more important to reap with creatures than to fight in this deck unless I am specifically getting a bonus for fighting. Because again, if I fall behind on the amber race, I'm probably gonna lose. But my opponent doesn't know that. Uh, and that's that's the key is sometimes is your opponent can maybe. Th- it doesn't look like a rush deck. It has freaking Brobnar in it. Uh, and um, and the untamed it has is very mm-hmm. not like it has a, a, a Gibunk and a Cauldron Boil. Yeah, and a, <laughs> um, not not the classic untamed rush package not, you're used to yeah, seeing. It's got a Fangtooth Cavern, right? Like there is no hunting witches. There's no um no uh uh what's the the little squishy one um fuzzy gruen right like (laughs) there aren't there aren't obvious amber rush cards in this deck but it is an amber rush deck Mm -hmm. uh so you know hopefully the opponent can then not realize that and uh take more time than they than they have because they don't realize that they're on a clock that's right that's right and that was uh that was the lovely thing about being able to have nathan on who you know hears a lot from the community and then filters it through his own brain to figure out sass and uh he said it's exactly for what you were using it for it's kind of a shortcut to say oh you know maybe i should take a look at this deck um it's kind of uh a, a, a nathan's opinion padded in many ways by the community that helps him out and so it's uh, uh and that's not a bad opinion no matter what somebody thinks of sass it's uh <laughs> so that's that's great i always take tools like that as uh guidelines more so than rules right like oh of course um of course i'm much uh uh certainly given my science background i'm very um i'm not willing to accept uh other people's evaluations of things at face value now Hmm. oftentimes people will say things that i agree with and i'll be like oh yes of course uh this card is this is the best card in the deck and we will both agree on that. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to challenge your, your, your claim here. Um, yeah. But for something, certainly for something as complicated as how good is a deck, can, you know, Gosh. you can't put that in a number, um, yeah. but it can be a guideline. Um, and there is a lot of value to my mind for things that are not answers of themselves, but help get you there. Um, mm-hmm. Just because the thing was like, imagine if uh, SAS were a thing and it was well documented that SAS was 40% of the time just wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. That wouldn't mean that all of it needs to get thrown out and it's all, you know, bad and worthless. uh, Because even if it's wrong 40% of the time, if using it makes me a better player and gets me to playing better decks then it's still succeeding its goal, even if it wasn't the final tool that, that completed it for me. Right. Sure. Um, and obviously yeah. I don't think that SAS is for, wrong 40% of the time, but I was trying to make <laughs> a, you know, a point of like, yes, of course, of like tools that help, but are, but can only ever help get you to wherever you're trying to go are still important and useful. And I'm glad that they exist. Oh yes. Oh yes. Uh, me too. Me too. Certainly. 
Uh, and uh, so you've mentioned these uh, building up for a big Brobnar turn. What's um, what's some of those fun Brobnar stuff you pull off with the cards in this deck? I'm seeing the barn raising that uh, you know has the opponent losing amber after each fight. There's the Igon the Green and Igon the Terrible. There's a, a couple things in here. So what is what does a really fun big Brobnar turn look like that you've been building up towards? Um, usually, if I'm gonna Brobnar turn. It's because I have the Smith, first of all, or just a bunch of Brobnar creatures. Um, getting, um, getting one of my two artifacts out early is desirable, if only to get them out of my deck. Um, yeah. So I'm usually not ever triggering Signal Flare, or I mean, obviously not never, but I rarely, tri- I rarely trigger Signal Flare, um, both because the deck only has five Brobnar five which is really four brobnar right it only has four brobnar creatures so uh the signal fire is only going to be so good anyway um but as just like gain the amber and don't draw this card again that's still worth it to me because again we're trying to get as much amber as fast as possible um my other goal is to try to get igon the green purged as quickly as possible which is usually doesn't happen if we're being honest oh that's sad because i I love the concept of those cards for i do too and in another deck i think it would be great the catch is the 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 whole idea of a dude that that levels up into another dude (laughs) kind of only works if the game is gonna go on long and you're more likely to see both of them but considering this is a rush deck yeah right like that's only only so much um, for uh, a quick uh, a quick note for any listener who uh, hasn't seen this linked pair of Worlds Collide Brobnar uh, rares, it's Igon the Green, four-power creature uh, that just has destroyed, purge Igon the Green, return an Igon the Terrible from your discard pile to your hand. His flavor text says, a ship the sea, what more could I want? And then his quote-unquote upgraded version is Igon the Terrible, eight-power, says play... If Igon the Green has not been purged, destroy Igon the Terrible. So the idea is you get Igon the Green out first and then Igon the Terrible. And he has fight, steal one, and he says, I want it all. So telling a lovely little story there. Uh, Not often, it takes the right deck for that to be an effective pair, like you were saying. Yeah, and like, don't get me wrong. If I can land Igon the Terrible, I'm going to feel very happy about it. Um, Yes. But more likely what's going to happen is I'm going to archive Terrible um, and maybe play green and then the game will end (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) um right and so like uh the 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 brobnar turns are usually geared towards getting my one of my getting as many of my four creatures into play as possible and uh i do appreciate that half of my brobnar creatures i'm counting igon as one creature for all intents and purposes right sure Um, sure it does help that uh two of my or half of my creatures basically say play fight um between stiltkin and ganger chieftain um so it so so there's an, an immediacy there and also a freeness right because remember mm. this deck doesn't want to fight if it can avoid it because it's a rush deck so having these having a couple cards that just get you free fights does help keep your opponent's board under control yeah um, the 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 main reasons that I would want to are a just to get these creatures on the board, right? So they can start doing things for me, and also so they're not in my hand. Um, but also, if I'm trying to set up Smith or the Flex, which I think are two of the better Brobnar cards in my deck, again because the point is to gain lots of Amber quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, Warriors Refrain is a little awkward considering 
all of my logos gets hit by it. I think yeah. maybe maybe except for one. Um, yeah, that's and, very true. <laughs> yeah, all yeah, of my logos except for stunning, except stunning for anything with three power or less. Yeah, and uh, and uh, maybe like a quarter of my untamed get get stunned by it. So it's not great, but gain one amber stun potentially a bunch of my opponent's creatures does have value. Sure, uh, sure. Uh, barn raising is probably the weakest card in the deck because again, my deck doesn't want to fight. Um, and so this is kind of like, here's here's an effect that you would want, but when this is the only card in the deck that does it, then uh, mm. then it's... I would have to try too hard to get Barn Rising to work, especially since it is a Brobnar card, which means I have four Brobnar creatures in the deck. Maybe two of them are out, and I play this and fight with two of them, right? and my opponent loses two Amber, or I just reap twice. Race ahead with two. And yeah, with two don't Amber. have this yeah. card? <laughs> right, so that's the card I want to get rid of as as, as yeah. quickly as possible. Um, yeah, that makes Berserker sense. Slam is isn't just an A plus card in general. Yeah, I I, um, I enjoy that one, and I think it's important. It's a critical piece to make the Brobnar actually work, um, because it gives it gives you an immediacy. Right, Ganger Chieftain does a little bit of this. Berserker Slam just does it way better. Um, mm-hmm. Of like. I'm immediately going to remove that threat, and also I'm going to swing our our amber totals, uh, and I can just do it whenever I choose House Brobnar, which I'm only going to do if my hand is mostly Brobnar and or um, I need to set up for a for a flex. Yeah, yeah. With the the additional uh, effect of just getting to see the Berserker Slam art every time you play it, which is just some of the most fun. Oh yeah, we're into just that. like the the giant's arms are the size of tree trunks and they've got these rocket powered elbow rockets slamming into a door it's uh yeah it's it's what? very evocative why would you use your already incredible giant strength when you could also have <laughs> rocket arms <laughs> which really the the muscles on this person are really just there to hold up the rocket arms i'm not sure the muscles <laughs> yeah, in the really. arms are doing much of the pushing <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really. Um, so, so mostly to answer your question, uh, it doesn't sound like the Brobnar is doing much because mostly the big Brobnar turn is get the Brobnar out. Um, but it's all in service to 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 specifically Smith and the Flex, um, which are my ways to pay off House Brobnar. Yeah. And you know, with my with my three and a half cards that that archive. You can pretty reliably set those kinds of turns up if you know. Yeah, sure. Um, like I'll very, very commonly go, you know, if I can archive the flex early, then I can kind of set up a flex turn whenever I want um, because I know it's always going to be there and I can go, okay, we're on turn six or whatever and or turn 10 or whatever. Uh, and I've got this flex sitting here with three, with two other Brobnar cards, and I've got four Brobnar cards in my hand. So we're gonna pick out archives, play all these creatures out. Next turn, call archives and flex on you. Which, if I'm getting even like if I'm getting even just two off of Ganger Chieftain or three off of the the Patrizate, yeah, that's that's totally worth it to me. Obviously, sure. ideally, you'd want to get four off of Igon, but uh, as we've established, Igon's <laughs> not gonna come out very often. Right, right. Um, a lot of the, a lot of this deck is in sort of the coda air quotes coda style, uh, mm. does revolve around like, hey, at a certain point, I just need to play a lot of cards with amber pips on them and right get and just there. push and threaten threaten that um, checking of the key yeah yes uh, and and so 
that is why specifically Flaxia and Smith are important because I just need more my cards to get me more amber than my opponent's cards are going to do. Yeah. Yeah, which is a pretty good approach for some decks in, in Keyforge. Just uh, get more amber more faster. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, against their deck. Um, with uh, with this deck being uh, kind of tricky to figure out, uh, what do you see yourself if you if you had the opportunity you were headed to a uh, Archon Adaptive uh, tournament? Do you think this deck would be uh, a good pick uh, just because of... Oh, uh, for Adaptive? Yeah. Honestly, probably. Most people, I think, would look at this and come away with the same conclusion that I did initially, which is, yeah. what is even going on here? Um, like, I wanted... Uh, I wanted the deck with my name on it to be more obviously good, but honestly, I'm kind of satisfied with the idea that maybe it it's still good. It's just not obvious about it because that's got to be just the most Keyforge thing, right? It it is. That's something I really appreciate about Keyforge in this deck, and even you know being able to take advantage of the adaptive format and weaponizing your deck knowledge instead of just deck strength. Uh, even though it's maybe not quite that simple, but that's the the simple version um, is because you can get a deck with your name on it or a special name on it. And like, maybe it's not the best deck in the world, but like it is uh, in a way it's a little bit of art reflecting life where like, sure, this sure, is sure. what we've got and we've got to figure it out. <laughs> so, you yeah, know, that's that... a little bit reflected in figuring out your deck and figuring out, wait, there is value in this deck. Maybe, maybe I, maybe I won't win an Archon solo tournament with it, but there's tricks in here that only I know and that I had to go on a journey to figure out. And it makes me a better Keyforge player because now yeah. I know to look for similar things in other decks, right? Like Yes, exactly. Um, personally, my favorite way to play card games in any capacity is limited, which in this sure. case is sealed. Um, yes. And so any anything that teaches me how to pl- be a better Keyforge player is going to be... Any deck that teaches me how to be a better Keyforge player is going to be a deck that I have a stronger you know, emotional attachment to because it's, it's the, the, the things that the deck taught me, I can now use on all of the decks. Um, yes. It's not just, I'm better at this deck, but I'm a better Keyforge player now. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and Hey, maybe, maybe that itself is uh, the call of discovery. If you will. Oh, bringing it around. Yeah, but you're you're right. Yeah, looking looking at a deck, learning it like this, going into the the jungle of this deck to to use Richard's term from the the <laughs> intro letter in the rule book. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it it make it makes you a better player, and there's just so much enjoyment to be had from diving into a maybe a bit more of a complicated deck like this and figuring it out. You know, even if it's got a Fangtooth Cavern and an Igon the Green and Igon the Terrible, it's a uh, it's its own. It's a part of the the infinite puzzle that is this card game. I, I did get to do, I have so far gotten to do exactly one time, the use Fangtooth Cavern to kill Igon, the green. Um, ah, oh, which nice. Which is the best feeling. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> for this deck of like, not only am I getting to leverage, uh, not only am I making this Fangtooth Cavern worthwhile. Uh, You're I, accelerating I get, I also, your Igon. I also get to do the, cute thing that the deck does right yes. like um and yes, and there yeah. are other like little little you know 
little mild things that that mostly don't get there but like can under the right circumstances right like uh uh uh, uh what's what's it what's it called it's the which thing cauldron boil right cauldron boil for a deck that isn't fighting kind of yes you know if, if it can avoid it seems bad but then you're like okay but like also the deck has uh mystic mermook thorium plasmate bellowing patrizate like mm-hmm. there are it it some, teaches you a bunch of uh, you know incidental ways to damage twin bolt emission right like mm-hmm. uh just incidental ways to put damage on dudes that you can it has the tools to to manage your opponent's board without fighting yeah if you know where to look for them yeah, and that, that cauldron boil, which, uh, of course, says play deal damage to each creature equal to the amount of damage on that creature, uh, that's going to teach you to be really intentional with your ping damage. I know uh, just in a, a game recently, I I used a... Uh, I just pinged a random enemy creature with my um, with my Seeker Needle, you know, action deal of damage mm-hmm. to a creature. If it destroys it, gain an amber. And then uh, a turn later, I said, oh, wait, I should have put it on this other creature because I could have played to my out of drawing this card that would have allowed me to do something cool with that creature. So, uh, yeah, having a single cauldron boil in a deck that where you first go, oh, this isn't helpful. Then you go, wait a minute, I just need to plan and I need to learn. And then I'll get a little bit of value out of this cauldron boil. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's I awesome. feel like this deck uh more than any of my other decks has illustrated that like or has 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 a wider margin between its floor and its ceiling Mm, um of course it it has a it has a much more significant learning curve than any of my other decks and it's been cool to to experience that yeah um it's a unique thing that you know other games don't do because you if I build my deck in another game <laughs> then I know why I built it. <laughs> you would have taken the Fangtooth Cavern out or never included it and never had that little eye on the green moment. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, that's lovely. I didn't win that game by the way, but it felt oh. <laughs> <laughs> to do. Hey, uh, you won in the hearts of Igon the Terrible. And exactly, Igon the exactly. That's, yeah, which uh, is sometimes the real victory. It's not going to get you a play meta to store champs, but, uh, you know, it's it's precious. It's precious. Awesome. Well, Tyler, thank you so much uh, for coming back on today and bringing uh, Tyler Parrot of the Burning Wall. It was uh, great having both Tyler Parrots on the podcast. <laughs> yes, uh, I would love to do it again sometime. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, I think, uh, I think you and any of the other dev team will have a definitely have a standing invitation back uh, whenever, whenever you'd like. So, dear listener, if you're enjoying Call of Discovery, please subscribe on your regular podcast app of choice. That's going to make sure that you see each episode when it comes out, either weekly or fortnightly. If you're new to KeyForge and just now listening to us, please make sure to visit the new player guide on Arcana Arcana, the KeyForge wiki linked below to get started on your own unique and wonderful journey into this great game. If you are looking to support Call of Discovery monetarily, please visit our Patreon linked below where you can sign up to support us monthly and enjoy rewards like our exclusive Discord where we get a lot of topics and questions for the show itself. Definitely let us know what you'd like to see more or less of on future shows by interacting with us across all of social media on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or send us an email at podcast at calledcovery.com. But most importantly, if you think a friend would enjoy this podcast, please help them to discover it. Have you answered the call of discovery? <laughs> <laughs>